Restaurant Unstoppable episode 409. You need to trust your managers and you need to be in constant communication with your managers. And I don't want to say that you don't pay attention to what the line staff says, but you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. Really deal, you know, deal. think of the big picture. You got to be looking big picture and not look at the tiny microcosms. If you focus on the microcosms and the little tiny pockets, no one's focusing on the big stuff. Someone's got to be focusing on the big stuff. Your manager's job is to take care of the little stuff. And you learn over time that you need to really be looking at things in a much bigger and broader sense. And you got to trust your managers. If you can't trust them, then you got the wrong people in the job. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable, and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage with a K. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Who loves doing paperwork? No one. Sorcery is an efficient online AP automated solution for the food service industry and restaurants, large and small, are using Sorcery to provide a scalable solution to help them create efficiencies and ultimately grow their business while impacting their bottom line. To learn more, head to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com. And be sure to mention Restaurant Unstoppable to get your first month free. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Dan Margolis. Dan, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? You don't feel unstoppable working this business, then you're in the wrong place. <laughs> yes. And a special shout out to Shane McGrath for helping me set up this interview. Uh, I appreciate any help I can get getting put in front of great people. And I do listen. So thank you, Shane. And if you guys can think of somebody, please let me know. I will go after them. Uh, Dane Margolis earned a bachelor's degree in hotel administration from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and an MBA from California Lutheran uh, University after, sorry, over the last. 11 years, Dan has held the title of assistant GM, GM, and director of operations for a number of restaurant groups. Today, Dan holds the title of SE, or sorry, CEO for Brendan's Irish Pub and Restaurant in Ventura County, California. Uh, obviously, we're just scraping the surface about who you are and what you're all about. I can't wait to learn more about how you got to where you are. Let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling first. What do you got for us? My, my favorite one is, it's better to be feared than loved if you can't have both. Better to be feared than loved if you can't have both. It's a mantra I live by. Dive into that, man. How does that uh, resonate with you? So it's something I learned in my first, in my first job. Um, you know, I've come to the realization of if your staff, you want your staff to love you, mm-hmm. and that's great. And the example I always give is kind of like my father. Um, I, I love my father. 
but there is still, even to this day, there's a small piece of me that's scared of him. And it's Mm. not scared of he's going to beat me or do anything crazy, but it's the fear of disappointment. Mm. I know he loves me. I know, you know, I know that, but you know, obviously when I, I make moves, if I do something stupid, like I don't want to let the guy down. Yeah. Um, And I try to bring that into the restaurant where, look, I want my staff to, to like me and respect me and, and enjoy that. But at the end of the day, I want them to have that small sense of fear that if, if something goes wrong, if there's a problem that, yeah, there's, there's something to be answered to, you know, and, and, and there is a level of disappointment. It's not, Oh, it's my buddy. And I think in this business, we are, we're very, um, um, it's a very friendly business, right? I have a lot of friends, uh, you know, people that I've met through the, through the years, whether it's line staff, whether it's, uh, whether it's management, whether it's bosses, that, you know, and, and it's kind of the biggest, it's the, it's the smallest big family you'll ever have or the biggest small family you're ever going to have. Um, you, it's very easy to kind of get caught in like, oh, well, it's okay. He's my buddy. Well, no, it's, there's a consequence when there's a problem and it's not to make them. And the idea is, look, people feel, they, they, if they're feeling like they're letting you down, they're going to try not to let you down. Yeah. And I think that's the ultimate motivation. <laughs> I'm really happy you explained that because I'm not going to lie. Uh, I got a little scared. I was like, oh man, where is he going with this? But after you explained it, yeah, man, 100%. And I think the word that, um, that was coming into my head most was respect. The power of just being respected and not wanting to disappoint somebody in, uh, that respect can be huge when people really just want to show up and uh, make sure that they're, uh, getting your approval. And it seems a little weird, but I mean, it's very powerful. It can be really powerful. So, Great stuff. Um, so let me ask you, man, when did it all, when did it all start for you? Can you bring us to the moment where, where you knew this was going to be your career and not just a for now job? Uh, you know, I think I realized it. you know, I, I started working at a restaurant when I was 15, you know, washing dishes and it was a, it was a family friend of ours. He had a restaurant. I, I was interested. I was a horrible high school student. Uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to do everything but go to school and uh, I enjoyed it. Started as a dishwasher worked until I was 18 until I left for college and um and was a server by the end uh so kind of just worked my way through uh I I realized it because I love I love dealing with people and I think people say that a lot but I never really liked I'd I'd have positions where I sat at a desk and I think that kind of felt like school Mm -hmm. you know it kind of felt like school I didn't like school um never got into it um never did well in high school so I, you know, really, I ended up at UNLV almost by, almost by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I ended up at UNLV almost by accident. It was, I couldn't pass Spanish for the life of me in, in high school. Just couldn't do it. And I, I they didn't require a foreign language. So yeah. I ended up at UNLV mainly I got because. Out, I got out of my Spanish class too. I kind of transferred out of that. So I, I don't know where you're coming from. Yeah, it, it was, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't, yeah, they didn't have a foreign language requirement. So I went, I really didn't want to go to community college because I was 13th grade and it had nothing to do with anybody who goes to CC. Uh, I, I actually teach it, teach introduction to hospitality to local community college now. Um, so I know kids get their start that way. Uh, and the whole thing was, oh, they have a hospitality program, you know, and you enjoy a restaurant, so go and work in it. And I started, you know, I went there, took a class, enjoyed it, took the next class, enjoyed it, started working as a night auditor. So I did the hotel piece just to try it out. Uh, great job to have in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> in Vegas as a, as a 19, 20, 21 year old was working as a night auditor, man, I can't even wrap my mind around that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I can, I can write a book on what I saw, um, <laughs> uh, you know, four in the morning is an interesting time and in, in Vegas. Oh geez. So, 
Maybe we should so, avoid that conversation. <laughs> what is the craziest thing you saw? Actually, I'm going to ask. What's the craziest thing you saw? I'm, now you got my curious peaks, my curiosity peaks. You, you know, you, you get the usual people kind of wandering through. Um, we were the hotel, which will remain nameless because it's still there. And I still know people that work there. Um, it is right up the street from a very prominent strip club. And I don't. And so people, what they would do is they would fly from L.A. on Friday night a lot of the strippers, they would fly, fly from LA on Friday night and then they would fly home. Um, they'd fly home Sunday morning. And so they basically, they, they show up, they dance, they sleep, they dance, they get on the next, they get on the first flight home in the morning. And so you see some interesting things. Let's just, you know, you can oh use your God. imagination at four or five in the morning coming through with them. Did he, I don't know if you realize my history, but uh, I was a commercial pilot uh, for a short period of time. Uh, I call it a past life, and uh, I got my hours. I built my hours flying in the Pacific Ocean between Saipan and Tinian, which are two small islands in the Marianas Islands. And I would fly. And there was the only thing on this island, Tinian, was a uh, casino, a Chinese-owned casino. And I would fly in the, we'll call them dancers, for no better, for just to keep this. Um, I won't get into the details of what they actually were, but yeah, man, uh, some stories uh, <laughs> flying the, the the ladies back home at uh, four o'clock in the morning. I could totally know what you're coming up. With. I might have to edit this part out, dude. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's interesting no, I, stuff. I get it. Now, the funny <laughs> is the funny part is this is pre September 11th, and I'm flying home to Los Angeles for for a family event. So I was working the night on Saturday night. So I, I end up on the plan, you know, and you get to know these people now, of course, you know, you know, charity, you know, of course I'm dumb charity Mercedes and, and, uh, and, uh, and whatever the other one's name was, but you know, the, the stripper names are not real. And so I'm flying home basically with all these girls. And so I'm, you know, I sit in the airport with them. We're talking, um, you know, we're talking and we get off the plane and this is pre September 11th. So my mom is picking me up and my mom is at the gate you know, waiting for me. And we get off the plane. I get off the plane with five or six different strippers and they all say, goodbye, Dan, we'll see you next week. And my mom basically smacked me upside the head saying, what, what are, what are, what's all that money going to pay for college? And who are those people? Oh, man. And so you know, I thought it was a pretty funny story that, you know, my mom thinks that I'm just, you know, this is what I'm doing all day long. Awesome. Let's bring it back to center line. Let's uh, start talking about uh, when I guess you knew that at this point in your life, did you know this was going to be the rest of your life? Were you going to, were you committed to a life in the hospitality industry? Uh, the overall answer to that question is yes. The um, it, it was, I'm not going to lie and say I didn't waver. You know, I'm not going to lie and say that there weren't days that I said, look, I need to get out. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody has some times in their life where they really think about it. You know, you get married, you know, you have kids, uh, it's a very non-traditional um, schedule. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm here because of you know just because of the need of the business. You know, I'm sometimes working Fridays and Saturdays still to this day till two three in the morning, um, just because of the nature of my business and things that are going on. And we need to, uh, you know, we need to. It, it's where attention's needed, and it's not a banking job. And and I tell managers that I've had multiple conversations with people saying, Hey, you know, you got to make a decision. You know, there's the, with the good comes the bad, you know, you got to outweigh the pros and the cons. But of course, I mean, when I, you know, you, you get married, you have kids, you start missing out on, you know, on family events, it, it stings a little bit, you know, but you know, you kind of, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Mm-hmm. So your first, uh, so you went 
So you went to school, you got your administrative, um, hotel administration degree, and you went back to school eventually to get your, I guess this is kind of jumping into the future. Uh, yeah, let's, let's take it to your first, uh, assistant general manager role at the, uh, Bettina group. So how'd you find yourself there? Three years went by after graduation. You're working at a restaurant group as a general manager. How'd you get yourself into that situation? Um, you know, I, this is where mentors I think really come in. Um, I was very fortunate. Uh, I was working at a great place. It was the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills. Uh, at the time, it still is a five-star and five-diamond hotel. At the time, it was the number one hotel in the country. And somebody that I worked with pulled me out to Patina. Patina is a very large restaurant group in Los Angeles. They also have units in New York. Um, one of the larger, um, one of the larger chain, you know, fine dining chains out there, minus the the Landrys of the world that own everything now. Um, and I met a gentleman named Adam Rosenbaum. And really he was a, he, to this day is still my greatest mentor. Um, he kind of helped shepherd me to get to where I want to be. We set up goals, you know, he'd help me when I need to achieve those goals, you know, what needed to happen. And when, you know, when he was that guy that when I achieved those goals, he would go to bat for me. He didn't always win the battle, but you know, I knew that he had my back and he was there. And also when I screwed up, it wasn't like he was, um, you know, it, it, he didn't pull punches either. I mean, if I screwed up, he made sure that I, I knew, you know, I knew about it. I heard about it and, and what we were going to do to make sure it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still a great mentor to me. I still talk to him on a regular basis. He's the CEO of the meatball shop in New York city. Um, I thought I knew and, that. I thought I knew that name. Okay, cool. So, yeah. uh, he, he taught you how to set goals. Let's, let's go deeper into that. So at this point, how old are you? You're, 2006, uh, you're three years out of college. I'm assuming you're probably early 20s, mid 20s. Yeah, I'm 20. Yeah, 27, 28. So, what goals? I mean, where were you in life? What was he seeing? What 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 made you? What made him bring this conversation of yo man? You got to set these goals. A big part of it is you know working in the hotel before I came to him was there was no really the answer was don't get a guest complaint. It's all that mattered. It was a mm-hmm. five star hotel. You had a rooms division making 90 cents on the dollar. So I now go to a freestanding restaurant. I got to make money. You know, they want that style of service that I provided, but now you got to make money. So it's labor control, it's beverage costs, it's all these other things that go into it. Because the truth is the hotel, there was never a goal. You were, you were an amenity to something else. And so, yeah, you can get promoted. Yeah, you can make more money. Um, you can do all those things. But there was never, it, it, with, no, with no real goal, with really no place to go, what goal did you have? You know, and really a lot of goals... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you boil it down or financial, you know, whether you like it or not, you know, you might say, look, I want to try this. I want to do that. Service can obviously be, you know, can be adhered and, and it's not a financial deal. But after that, really everything involves money in one way or another, whether it's saving, spending or, or making. Mm-hmm. So was he trying to, to help you develop financial goals for yourself? Or do you say, Hey, here's where you are. If you want to get anywhere in life, you know, you got to start putting away 10% or whatever the advice was. Is that what, what the school setting was all about? Uh, no, the goal setting, this was more professionally than it was okay. personally. Okay. Um, but it was more, look, if you want to, you know, if you want to be a general manager, you need to, you know, you need to make sure you can adhere to these beverage costs. You need to understand if I ask you the following questions on a PL that you can give me a breakdown. You have to understand employee relations and how that works. Um, where I was before I worked with him was very cutthroat. So I was very, and really HR was kind of a, a secondary deal and they would just fire people on the whim and, I think kind of deal with it later. And that was not, especially in California, it's not really the true way it works. Mm. Uh, so you, you got to be able to, to lead a team and really rally a team behind you. 
Um, just as much as, you know, it, it's all financial, it's also you, your team's got to respect it. They got to be willing to, to, to kind of go into battle with you. Um, and if they're not, you're not going to move anywhere. So it sounds like almost like he was teaching you how to hit standards of excellence, how to set standards for yourself in, or goals and to hit those goals. Is that safe to say? That is very safe to say. What else did he teach you? Um, what else did he teach me? Um, how to be humble. How to um, how to come out of my shell because I was very um, uh, the, the Japanese word is majime, but very uh, very regimented, you know, very much that hotel standard, you know, kind yeah, of yes dry. sir, no yep. sir, you know, it's okay, it's okay to you know, it's okay to hug someone that you know. Uh, he also you know, t- not- it sounded like he also taught you uh, to, I guess. Did he teach you emotional intelligence? I guess is a way to say it because you mentioned earlier he never got angry when you fell short of those goals. Uh, what did you learn about that? Basically, controlling your emotions a, a huge amount because I would fly off the handle and and I, I'm not going to lie and say that I still don't every once in a while, <laughs> but it was a daily occurrence. Yeah, yeah. I would fly off the handle, and the truth is, you know, when dealing with staff, if you fly off the handle every day, all it's going to do is go in one ear and out the other. It's like, ah, there's Dan being Dan, mm-hmm. you know. Now when I fly off the handle, it's a couple times a year. And so everybody kind of stops and they're like, oh my God, like we better listen because mm-hmm. um, this doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, it was, you know, the, the old Teddy Roosevelt, you know, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick is really what he, you know, he didn't say it in that way, but that's really what he was teaching was, look, you have, you have the mental fortitude to do this. You have the brain power to, to advance. And, and there are people in this, in this business and it's fair to say, you know, some are soldiers, you know, they're, they're floor managers. They're not going to be more than floor managers. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but he's like, you, you can be more, but you got to be able to control certain things. You're never going to get there. Mm. Got you. So what things were you controlling? Uh, a lot of it was emotion, right? If, if there was a mistake, it wasn't, well, you know, are we allowed to cuss on here? Yeah. Okay. You know, someone made a mistake. What the fuck are you doing? Are you an idiot? I mean, that would, those were things that would happen yeah. for, with me. Very yeah. simple. Go right off, hammer down. And, you know, there's a point where just like, yeah, Dan's an ass, you know? And he's like, Dan, you can't do that. You know, it's, it's work correct, you know, work correct document, work correct document. And then every once in a while, you bark, mm-hmm. you know? And because then when, the, when you bark, it's going to be, oh, my God, this must be really big because. Yeah. You know, so why, get into why exactly you can't lose your shit. What happens in regard to rapport with your people when you bark too often? So it's a loss of respect, you know, and, and the other part of it is when you need to kind of keep, you need to keep your Trump card, right? You need to keep your, you know, you kind of need to keep something in your arsenal for when you really need it. When you're always barking, you're, you're showing your cards. You know, one of the things that I've learned that people, I keep a very, very good poker face when things are happening. So I walk away and people, you know, I I said at the beginning, it's better to be feared than loved if you can't have both. Part of it is something happens and I just kind of keep on moving. They're thinking, what's Dan thinking? What's going on in his head? Mm -hmm. You know, what's he about to do? Oh my God, I know this isn't right. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. And part of it's because I don't say anything. They know that the silence to a point and, you know, the silence is deafening, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes that's all I need to do you know, and it corrects the problem, but it's all about the demeanor and how you deal with it. And it's a lot easier for me now because I'm not on the floor on a regular basis. So the demeanor and the act is, is a lot more, is a lot more easy. It's a lot more easy to control when you're on the floor every day. I understand it can be a lot. It can be very difficult because you're, 
you're there sometimes 60, 65, 70 hours a week, you know, walking, you know, walking the halls and you're seeing the same people over and over. I, I say it's, it's very difficult to change your persona, you know, because it, you know, it's like, Hey, I want to do this. You can do it for an hour or two, but your human trait is going to come out at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I worked for somebody that, you know, at the end of the day, he'd always try to reinvent himself, but he'd always go back to the old way. And I said, you can't say you're going to reinvent yourself if all you're going to do is revert back or you're just using a different word to basically do what you're already doing. You need to, you know, it, it takes a huge commitment. And sometimes you have to change your, your MO and how you do business. Um, being kind of half and half operations and finance, what I do right now is it's very easy for me to walk through and not say anything. And people kind of know that, Hey, that wasn't good. And then again, that fear starts kicking in. Yeah. Oh my God. What's Dan thinking? Is it, you know, well, let me ask you this. I'm curious. Uh, how do you bounce, uh, being that guy who can walk into a room and people can read what you're saying? If they're maybe like, you know, like you don't have to say if somebody's doing something wrong, but what about positive reinforcement? Where does that come in? Like, how do you, how do you let people know when they're doing the right thing? You always, it always has to happen. And, and it's not in this business. And, and, and you mentioned that. And I think it's very important because I think it's forgotten a lot in this business. So What's just that? as much as I'm you, talking about, it's forgotten. About I think I might've lost you. I'm sorry. It, oh. uh, it's forgotten. What do you mean? It's forgotten. I, I think we run around this business and we're always focusing on taking care of people that we forget. We always kind of look at what's wrong and we don't look at what's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ju- just as much as I'm saying this in terms of, you know, the, you know, about dealing with issues and sometimes just silence will kind of, you know, depending on who you are can, can solve the issue. Um, you need to make sure that when they do something right, you thank them, right? Hey, that was great. Thank you. Mm. Um, I, I'm a very big believer in, you know, if you can do it in front of the whole staff, great. But I think there's a point where when you do it so much in front of the whole staff, it just kind of becomes, it kind of becomes routine Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have the same effect. But sometimes it's just a, Hey, that, uh, you know, Hey, I saw you doing this. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, and you just keep on moving. Yeah. You know, so powerful, you know, thank you for doing it. It doesn't need to be a lot of times. It doesn't need to be in front of everybody. It just needs to be shown that, Hey, you're, that you're seeing it. Um, And, you know, something that if you're, if you're a football fan, and something I would recommend that everybody kind of watches is I love NFL films just because what they can make the, the dumbest thing into this amazing deal. When, when the Seahawks and Patriots played in the Super Bowl, they, they made a video of Pete Carroll and um, Bill Belichick and just what they, cause they were both mic'd up and what they were saying. And Pete Carroll was very much, Hey, come on, go, 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 go. You know, and he's that, that big motivator, but it's, Hey, go, Hey, go, Hey, go. And then you're listening to Bill Belichick talk and he's talking to the offensive lineman about, Hey, your handwork is perfect. You know, keep that going. Do you know, this is what, you know, keep this going and we're going to end up getting, getting passed through. You know, we're going to get, you know, we're going to start beating up, you know, and, and it was very strategic about what was being said, but as opposed to just, Hey, rah, rah, everyone go team go. He was basically picking individuals or picking different groups, speaking to them about specific areas that, Hey, this is working really well. Let's keep that going. Or, hey, I see what you're doing here. Move a little bit to the left, and that's going to have our answer for us. Mm. And I, I feel like if you kind of – if you do it that way, you get a lot more out of your people because, they, hey, I am noticed. And look, every once in a while, there is a place for, hey, this person did a great job. Everybody 
hats off. Yeah. It really kind of reminds me of that whole idea of painting the picture of perfection, really giving some people a thing to aim for. And it's like setting the tables. Danny Meyer says, you know, centering the salt shaker, putting things back in order, that constant gentle pressure of being specific, saying you're, you know, you've drifted a little bit, but when you, they do it, like the best way to really set those standards is by correcting it when it's done right. Uh, so you really paint that picture of perfection and you're giving that positive reinforcement uh, that makes people want to do it right. Uh, Awesome stuff. Uh, and just specificity, I guess. Is that a word? Specificity? Speci- I'm not the best with words sometimes. I should maybe. <laughs> well, spe- being specific, though, uh, it, it can be very powerful because now people know exactly what to aim for. I love it. So, all right. Um, what's so we're still kind of talking about your experience at the, the early on when you're at the as the assistant general manager. So I guess the progression of your career, was it uh, strategic? Were you just taking opportunities as they came to you? Uh, what was like the next big stage for you, the next big evolutional step for you in your career? Um, let's see here. I, you know, the answer to your question is a little bit of both. Um, you know, when I left Patina and I left Adam, it was a very tough decision. But, it, you know, and I, I kind of said there are times in this business where you start kind of, you know, where you, you question or you kind of start making life decisions, if that makes sense, to go along with it. And at the time, I had just gotten married. And, you know, my wife and I bought a fixer upper house in Southern California, but it was on the outskirts and I was commuting, you know, no traffic, 45 minutes each way to work, but it's LA, so there's never no traffic. So I took a job locally, you know, I left at, and I left, you know, I left my mentor more for a, a better, what I thought was going to be a better quality of life um, in terms of driving. And the, um, and so I did that and I did it for two and a half years and, and, it was, that was my first real general manager job. And it was, it was good. It was eye opening there. I learned a lot. I learned a lot of things to do. I learned a lot of things not to do. Um, so, you know, just as much as you can learn, you know, people learn or places you learn, you always pull something away from a place, whether it's sometimes it's look, don't do it this way. It's not going to work. Um, or look, maybe you do it and you got to tweak it. What you know, did and you, what did you learn not to do? Um, not to hit the panic button. You know, that hitting the panic button over and over just, um, it just confuses your guest. Um, I was a GM in a place that I was very fortunate. It was close to home. Uh, it was an owner that it was, that really had funds in the, in the height of the recession. So he was able to ride it out. Uh, it was very much, but because he always wanted to see it busy, you know, I, I think there were a lot of things that, once the recession ended, then there was an expectation about what was going to happen. And it was pricing, it was offerings, it was, you know, and, and people would come and it would be a certain, it would be more Italian influence one day, and then it would be something different the next. And really the owner was driving. And then people just, what are you? You know, you know, what are you trying to be? And I understand that in the restaurant business, you need to reinvent yourself. Um, but whenever you keep on, you know, I always say you got to slightly tweak on a regular basis, slight mm-hmm. tweak, slight tweak, slight tweak, because if you don't tweak, you're going to end up, if you don't tweak, what's going to end up happening is you're going to end up getting stale and then you're going to have to make a major tweak. And then people are going to say, well, what or a major change? And then people are going to say, what happened to the old stuff? Even though they weren't supporting you before. Mm. And it's kind of the, the, the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. If you're always slightly reinventing yourself, you're always kind of doing the new thing. It's great. So your menu can evolve. You can, you know, and I use music as an example of this. Certain people, you know, and certain, you know, certain bands have transcended generations. And, you know, they've been able to, to make it, you know, through multiple generations and sell. 
And if you listen to their music, though, they change. You know, they, they, it's slow, but you know what certain people did thirty years ago. You know, if you look at U two or Metallica or other bands that are you know that are still you know popular today, if you listen to their music, they they've changed. They've evolved with the time, and and so different generations are are buying it and willing to do it. A lot of people, if you just stick to your gun, you know this this business is so fast and so you know it, what I do two three years ago is different than what I do today. If you continue to just say, look, I'm just going to do it and it's not broke, why fix it? It will break at one point and then you're going to be really stuck. Yeah, two thoughts came to my mind listening to you talk, and I love what you're giving us right now. First, uh, Jeff Benjamin, uh, who is a part of the Vetri Restaurant Group. He's a guy that's behind the scenes, the director of operations, I think is his title, founder or partner, director of operations. Um, and he said, uh, you got to stay fresh. And that's just another way to say it. You got to stay fresh. And what they do is they budget every five years. They put money aside and they're intentional about how they're staying fresh. They're looking and they're projecting into the future. This is how this is, these are the things we're going to do. This is how much it's going to cost. And we're going to, we have a stay fresh budget where they actually put money away and they take that money to, to, to stay fresh to, to whether that's a uh, uh, decor change or maybe they, they might go 10 years to do like a really big update. But uh, you, you definitely got to stay fresh. Uh, so I agree with that. And uh, I think too, one way to, to stay fresh and to constantly evolve is just to show up every day, trying to be just a little bit better than you were the day before. And I think organically, naturally you're going to stay fresh. You're going to evolve. You're going to learn new things. You're going to be better and you're going to get new ideas, new angles. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's very important for the staff. You know, I think it's, it's very important for the staff that they see the constant change because it's going to keep them on their game. Mm-hmm. I, I use the ceiling tile analogy. And when we were talking a little bit earlier, we we're talking about, you know, service and kind of doing things right. When you're in there and you're doing it every day and you're doing the same thing, it, you get, you know, when you see it, you know, when you're a manager and you're in there every day, you sometimes you don't see some of the, what I would call blatant issues, right? Cause you're in, you're in the fight, you're in there every day. And then someone comes through and says, Hey, what just happened here? And I call it the, you know, the broken ceiling tile philosophy, which is, you know, or the crack or, you know, the ceiling tower, the crack, right? The crack starts out really small. And if you see it every day, it grows a tiny bit every day, but you don't really realize it's growing. And then I walk in a week later and go, how, how, what just happened there? How is that crack so big? And you're like, oh my God, it is big. It, it's the same, it's the same mentality. And it keeps your staff motivated because when you just keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again, the staff get tired too, you know, and I'm a firm believer. You're only as good as your staff, you know, you're only as good as your weakest staff member, you know? And so you got to hold on to your staff, you know, and you got to make sure they're constantly being trained and you're constantly, you know, some of the big chains are very good at this, right? They're good about keeping their people up to speed and, and making sure that, you know, even the veterans know what's going on and it's back to the basics, you know, and really showing what needs to happen. I'm going to make a little note here to come back to something. Oh, and I'm not going to, it's going to be a little tease, but, uh, you said something that just really stuck with me. We'll come back to it. Um, so you made a lateral step. You went from being uh, the GM for uh, this Mediterranean. What was that? Mediterranean. 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 Yeah. Mediterranean. Uh, and he went to uh, being a general manager for Chaya Beverly Hills. Um, am I saying that correctly? I'm really bad at restaurant names. Uh, no, you're, you're good. So what was, why was that a lateral? Like, was there more opportunity with this restaurant group? Why'd you make that change? Uh, two reasons. One, Adam called me, uh, my mentor called me, Hey, I'm here. Let's talk. Um, and I came to the realization where I was, this is what I told people. I was 28, 29 years old. I was the general manager of this restaurant. The owner was not going to go anywhere. 
you know, go anywhere. He wasn't going to open anything new. Um, he wasn't going to open anything new. Um, apparently, even if my phone's off, it rings on my computer. So my <laughs> it's all good. Um, it's all good, dude. Okay. It, Keep going. So I, I kind of looked and I said, I can be the general manager here for the rest of my life. And that's not what I want to do. You know, I want to be more. I want to grow. I want to be, I want to be something more. And so I said, I, you know, I spoke to my wife and she agreed and we, you know, so I went to go work with Adam again, you know, and, and really, uh, it was a lateral move, but really, you know, and I talked to him before and I said, look, here's, you know, here are my goals, you know, and, and what were your goals? I, uh, I, I want to be a multi-unit operator. I wanted to, I want to be a director of operations. I want to be a multi-unit operator. Um, I, that, those are, that was the big goal. So at this point, um, when you're saying to yourself, I want to be a multi-unit operator, I want to be a DO, um, where were you and what did you, where did you need to be? What, what needed to happen in your opinion to get to where, where you wanted to be? Um, a big part of it was opportunity. A big part of it, I think, was time management, you know, because now you're dealing with, th- you know, with three, four, five, six as opposed to, you know, one. Uh, I think it is looking at things a little, you know, being able to look at things more strategically than to be involved in the operation all the time. Because again, when you're involved all the time, I think you, you have a different perspective. It's good and it's bad, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the perspective. And I made it clear that those are my goals, you know, to him. And, you know, he was the director of operations was his, was his title. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, he's like, you know, and, and he taught me that when you can teach someone to do your job, that you can find your replacement, even if you're in it, then it's either time for you to move on in the company or it's either time for you to move up in the company or you need to move on. If you have somebody who's ready in the wings, it's not a, it's not a competitive, it's not a competitive deal saying, Oh, he'll take my job. It's I have someone who can do my job, which either means I should be in a higher position or be doing something else, or it's time for me to move on because then I'm not going anywhere and I'm, and I should be going up, you know, and really be moving. And the nice thing about this business, we're not doctors and lawyers, right? We're not, you know, once you become a partner in a law firm, you're done. You know, that's it. There's always growth. There's always room to go and there's always someone looking for it. So I told him my goals and, you know, Shia, he thought that Shia had certain goals in mind as well of what he was going to be and do. And I followed him. So at this time was Shia a single, a single operation, like a one, a one unit operation or were they, did they have plans for expansion? So they had four restaurants okay. at the time, four restaurants and three uh, macrobiotic cafes okay. at the time. Um, three macrobiotic cafes. Um, so basically he was overseeing the four restaurants and kind of had his hand in the macrobiotic cafes. Um, so, you know, it, it was a larger, you know, it wasn't a single unit. It was a larger company. And the idea was, you know, that the original concept was there was going to be expansion. So with expansion comes opportunity. And we both kind of saw that this was a good, good opportunity for both of us. Okay. So you were the general manager for one year and it looks like in that one year you got an opportunity to take over the director of operations role. So where did Adam go when you took Uh, over as the DO? He actually went back to Patina. It's kind of like one big massive circle. It's kind of funny. Um, He got an opportunity at Patina. He couldn't turn down. Um, He left and he basically went to the owner and said, look, I've been grooming Dan to take my job. Um, You you do what you want to do, but I think you're going to be impressed. Do you think that Adam was looking at you. Did, well, let me ask you this. Um, did you approach Adam or did Adam approach you when you made this, the jump from uh, the Mediterranean? I can't say this Mediterranean to Chaya. Uh, no, he called me. 
Do you think that you were maybe his exit strategy? Was he looking to get out? If you ask him, no, even to this day, he would answer no, but he had just came. He was there maybe a week or two before he called me. Okay. So, so he was still uh, excited. He, he, he maybe saw the opportunity at that time. Maybe the opportunity didn't you know, present itself in the way that he had hoped. And is that safe to say? I think it's safe to say. I mean, I think, I think a couple things, I think without getting into detail, I know that he was made an offer. He couldn't refuse. You know, I know, yep. I know what that offer was. Um, and if it were me, I would have done the same thing. I got you. Cool. I would, I would have taken that offer too. Um, I think that, you know, maybe certain things, again, I wasn't in the, I wasn't in the room when, when the, uh, when the meeting took place, yep. you know, when his, his offer came through, I wouldn't, you know, like anything, I think things didn't move in the speed that maybe were promised or, you know, or, or they almost received. never do. I mean, you, we yeah. all, we're all, especially in this industry, I feel like we're super ambitious. We're dreamers and we're not always realistic with what is actually going to happen. We try for it. Uh, but you know, things don't always go according to plan, but on the flip side, the positive note, you came to him, you said, Hey, or when you guys connected, you said, I want to become a director of operations. And the cool thing is he helped you become the director of operations. That was your goal. And you made it happen in a year which is pretty awesome. So that, uh, I love that part of the story that you, you have this mentor that he provided an opportunity to you or were you, yeah, you're the director of operations for Chaya. So you're the director of operations from 2010 to 2015. What were your biggest lessons in that, that how was that, I guess that, that transitional moment from being a GM to a director of operations? What did you learn about yourself and how to run restaurants during that time? Um, what did I learn about myself? The, the big thing is, doing multi-unit and doing single operation are two completely different beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, you now have managers and general managers reporting to you. It's not just employees. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of people trying to play. Now you have managers kind of playing the mommy and daddy game. You know, well, you know, daddy said this, so go talk to mommy. And so it gets a lot more strategic. You need to look at things much more at the 30,000 foot level. You can't just look at things you know, when you're looking at the, at the unit operation, it's a, is my service good or my cost good? Well then what else do you want me to do? You know, you kind of need to be looking longer term. You'd be looking, you know, you know, you need to be much, you know, much looking at trends. You need to be looking at different places and, and really understand uh, much more about the business, but also you, it's also not your job to dive in. And I hate to say it, deal with the busser who is unhappy, mm-hmm. you know, nothing against the busser, but that's what the managers are for. You so, know, there's a, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, there, you gotta, you kind of got to understand, you got to ch- respect kind of that chain of command. Why do you have managers? Mm-hmm. Let them come to you and then you go back to them, you so, know, as opposed to, I guess, what advice do you have for that person that's making that transition from, Hey, I do address the, the busser. I do address the server and everybody. I'm as the general manager, I, I'm kind of more on the floor, more hands-on. How do you transition from that role to mentoring and developing other people to be able to handle the, the, the role of dealing with the, the day-to-day, uh, I guess, uh, I guess, I don't know what the word would be, the, the appropriate, the, the politically correct word for your, 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 the, the staff that's on the floor. It, it's, it, it's not easy and it just takes time, you know, and, and I think you're going to, you're going to get burned a couple times is what's going to happen. And I think that's kind of when you start learning. So um, did you get burned? Yeah. I mean, you know, well, they play, they play one against the other, right. You know, they, they say, Hey, they said this and really it's very much, you need to trust your managers and really kind of back them and really make sure that you're in lockstep with them about what's happening. 
because they'll come, you know, staff will come to you with a story and the manager's already kind of giving the answer, but the man, you know, but then the staff skew the story so they can turn around and say, well, Dan's the Dan's above them. And Dan said, I can go on break, for example. Well, no, he's, you know, the manager said he can go on break in 20 minutes, you know, not right now. Um, it, that's a small example, but there, there does become a lot of, you know, well, they, I want to go now and th- there's this other person. Let me see what I can get. And the story gets skewed. Yeah. You know? I, I had, I had an issue and this is just recent, you know, uh, at my current place where a manager found an employee drinking in their car, you know, on their break. And they kind of said, Oh, well, they're, they're using what a manager said and skewed it completely to a point to where it's kind of shaky if you fire them or not. But it, it was very much a, you know, well, one said this and the other said that. And if you're not on the same page together, you know, then the employees are going to take advantage. So and they're also not. Gonna- I'm curious, like what did you do differently? You said, you know, over time you figure it out, you learn how, what did you start doing differently to, uh, I guess, transition to more of that DO role where things were starting to go right? You need to trust your managers and you need to be in constant communication with your managers. And I don't want to say that you don't pay attention to what the line staff says, but you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt, really deal, you know, deal. Think of the big picture. You got to be looking big picture and not look at the tiny microcosms. If you focus on the microcosms and the little tiny pockets, no one's focusing on the big stuff. Someone's got to be focusing on the big stuff. Your manager's job is to take care of the little stuff. And you learn over time that you need to really be looking at things in a much bigger and broader sense. And you got to trust your managers. If you can't trust them, then you got the wrong people in the job. Mm-hmm. So five years go by at Chai Restaurant Group. Uh, now, you got this opportunity. You're with Brendan's Irish Pub and Restaurant. Why? Why did that that movement happen? You know, at the time, I, the last year or so, I was getting phone calls on a daily basis from recruiters. You know, hey, I got a DO opportunity. I have this. I have that. And uh, no, 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 no. I, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then, you know, and again, a little bit more strategic. Uh, I get a phone call from you know, I get a phone call from the owner of Brendan's. And he, he had me somehow figured out who I was through, you know, you know, I mean, you know, this business, it's mutual connections everywhere. And really it was, I live out here, you know, I live a mile from my office and I was at the time I was driving back and forth to Culver city, which is 45, you know, it's basically 45 miles each way. So it's an hour and a half each way in LA traffic. Yeah. And my wife and I just had our first child. So it was, uh, you know, so I have a four month old at home. I'm not sleeping. Um, and, you know, I kind of looked around at Shia and I was, and I was the number two guy there and I was doing operations. I was doing finance. I mean, every, the answer to everything was, if you needed something, talk to Dan. That was, that was kind of the answer that, that went in. And I kind of started looking around and, and I kind of started looking around and saying, you know, I got very comfortable and I was getting very complacent and I can tell I was getting very complacent by some of my actions. Give me an and example. Yeah. It was, I was accepting as opposed to pushing. And when you're dealing in restaurants and when you're working in certain places, I knew that I could say things to the, to the, to the owner, basically that would kind of just satisfy him, whether they were right, wrong, or indifferent. I knew what to do to just keep the, to keep kicking the can down the road. Um, and what I was noticing was I, you know, and I kind of had to look at myself in the mirror and go, I'm getting complacent. I'm not, Am I really, I always came in and gave my best effort. I never wasn't, but 
was I really trying to be innovative? Was I really trying to be different? I kind of was looking at this company and I said, it's an old fashioned company. You know, there, there's no bank loans. There's no investors. You know, you make as much, you make enough money so that you can open another unit. Well, as we all know, in the restaurant business, you know, you get some units that are good, some units that are bad, but it's a tight margin, tight profit business. And so, you know, you're opening units every 10 years, you know, you're not opening, you know, you're not opening every, you know, it was a secure job. You know, I knew that the paycheck was going to come on the 5th and the 20th of every month, you know, and having a family that's important, especially in this business. And I kind of, you know, but I started thinking and and they're talking to me and I said, you know, I, I need to go and I need to go push. You know, I was halfway through school. I was, you know, I was halfway through my MBA and I kind of said, you know, I got to see something different. I've I've been doing this for a long time. They're great people. They're, I still talk to them uh, on a regular basis, just, you know, as a, you know, just, uh, we like each other. You know, I mean, it was, I I was crying on my way out. I'm not going to lie about that. Why, why, why is it so important um, to not get complacent? If you could just take that part and really put significance on why we need to avoid that level, that, that state of mind. Uh, why is that so crucially important to avoid? You can't be complacent because when you're complete, this is a restaurant or the restaurant business is an evolving business. It's always changing. And whether it's our guest palette, whether it's, and look, sometimes it's the law, it's the rules. You know, I'm in California. Minimum wage is going to 15 bucks an hour. Wow. Um, there is no tip credit right now. Um, things you need to be innovative and you need to change because at the end of the day, you need to, you know, you need to be, you know, you need to stay fresh, right? Whether that's on the cost side, whether that's on the creative side, but the demand of the customer changes, you know, the demand of your guests changes, the demand of the government changes. Mm -hmm. Um, You you need to stay on top of all of it. And when you get, you know, if you get complacent, your guests are going to move elsewhere. They're going to try something else because there's always the new shiny penny that's opening. Someone else is always going to go do it. Nowadays, everyone's opening a restaurant. Everybody's, you know, everyone wants to be a restaurateur. They want to put their money in. Um, that's, that's piece number one. Um, and, you know, if, if and, you know, staff-wise, you keep them interested, right? So kind of what we go back to. Um, in a, it's innovate or die. It's kind of, you know, that was the, you know, that was the, um, the uh, Billy Bean, you know, the Billy Bean quote, you know, in, in uh, Moneyball. And, you know, the restaurant business is no different. I'm going to tag on to that. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's a disservice. It's a disservice to yourself if you're being complacent because why live if you can't push and grow and, you know, become better? Why, why, who wants to live like that? And it's, it's a disservice to your team and the people you're working for and with the people that are working for you. You, you want to be a part of the best, right? And if you're just going through the routine every day and uh, not really pushing yourself, then it's a disservice to yourself and everybody else. So would you agree or disagree with that statement? Absolutely. You know, and, and that was a part of it was, am I really, you know, am I really being, um, am I really being, uh, am I really doing everything I can for these people or, you know, and, and, you know, the, my boss, the owner, you know, he had his way of doing, you know, of doing business and I respected that, but I wasn't going anywhere, you know? And, and I, the, the joke, the, the joke I told somebody was, you know, there might be an issue if I can literally, you know, figure to, or if I can figuratively kill somebody, have the murder weapon in hand, be all bloody and stand over it. And I just say, Oh, I didn't do it. And everyone goes, Oh yeah, Dan didn't do it. You know, (laughs) there's a, and that was what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I kind of said, look, I need, 
I need something different. I need to kind of, I, that, that edge, that kind of fear part that I talked about isn't there. Awesome. You know, it's, it's, I'm coming, I'm doing a job yep. and, and I was doing a good job at it, but there was nothing there. There, there was nothing past that. Got it. Um, all right. So let's transition to uh, the director of operation to chief executive officer, uh, new restaurant group, uh, Brendan's Irish pub and restaurants. What was that transition like? And I guess what is the difference between being a DO and a, a CEO? Um, that's a, that's a great question. So, um, when I, when I accepted the position, uh, the concept was actually to be more on the finance side than it was to, um, and there was a gentleman here that was running the operations and the concept was I would do more of the back end, cost control, finance, cash flow, things of that nature and work with the accountants to, to keep the train running on time. And this other gentleman was going to be more on the floor, shaking hands, kissing babies, you know, and be the face of the, uh, be the face of the establishment. Um, between the time that I agreed to come and when I did come, there was a parting of ways of this person. Uh, and face, really, that was on the floor. Huh? That would be the gentleman on the floor. Okay. So when I walked in, really, there, there was really no management. The place was being, you know, it really turned into survival at the beginning. It was, I was hired to do a job and, and you kind of walked in, you're like, Oh my God, like no one's really been running this thing. And we had the first six months were chained to a desk, figuring out what was going on, you know, and it wasn't even going to the floor. It was figuring out where hard, you know, where's our debt? Where's this? Where's, you know, who do we owe money to? What's going on? Like there was no book when I came in here, there was no files, you know? So if a, if a, if a manager or if somebody came in saying, Hey, I need a check. I owe you, you owe me money. I didn't have a record of it. I mean, that was where we were. And so we, we continued to, um, um, so the first six months were just trying to figure out what was going on, you know, Assessing who's the what, situation, what, trying to get everything lined up and figure it out. Yeah. Just, just trying to understand just where the business lies. Mm-hmm. That, that was it. Um, you know, where does the business lie? What's going on? And after that, then it became, okay, how's our service? And you know, what, you know, what, how are we servicing our guests? And the truth is this place is run by a bunch of, by a bunch of employees that were called shift leads. There were no managers. So basically your employee, the inmates ran the asylum. Um, so your employee who, who knows how good they were. And some of them were just kind of, you know, some were good, some weren't, but they had their own best interest at heart, not the best interest of the restaurant. So, you know, then we had to start hammering down on there, you know, okay, we're going to hire managers. We're going to bring people in. We're going to start teaching a standard. And even today, and we're, you know, we're 22 months into me being here. We're still having, you know, we're still not where I want to be 22 months later because you, you, you got to train people, you know, you got to train and then you got to, you, you got to get a, a, one standard. Then you got to start putting the next one. It's not as easy as just flipping the light on and moving. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is the order of operation? If you are somebody who comes into a restaurant group that needs some help, uh, what, what do you, what would anybody do what would your advice to anybody be to, that's going through that right now if, if they were walking into that situation um deep breath uh deep breath it is a marathon it's not a sprint um and just constant communication with whomever whomever you're working with whether that is an owner whether that is a accountant whether that's floor managers but constant communication and constant goals right look even if it's Today, we're going to scrub the walk-in. Like, it sounds really stupid 
And it's like, well, that should be kind of setting side work and doing, you know, and, and be a part of it. But sometimes you got to start somewhere, you know, and sometimes things just need to get done. Well, listening to you, it sounds like what, what path you took, uh, you wanted to get your situational awareness down. You wanted to find out what exactly is going on. You looked at the data and then from there you, you look to the service, the culture kind of like what were, I mean, what are people doing? How can we be better? Uh, I guess, are there any like actionable steps like that you can think of aside from taking your breath and being calm and realizing that's not going to happen overnight? Like what's the first thing you think is the most important thing you do in that situation? First thing I'm going to look at, look at your, First thing, first thing I did when I walked in here is I looked at my cost centers, right? What's going on? Because that's where your money's flowing, right? This is the restaurant business. I'm looking at my beverage cost and or my, my cost of goods and my labor, mm-hmm. right? What's going on? I mean, I walked in here and found a 95% F&L, you know, so uh, a prime cost of 95%. How the hell are you going to make money when your prime cost is 95%? What number uh, should that typically be? 60. You know, 60 is kind of the good number. Um, for, you know, it depends on who you ask and where you are. Uh, but see, you want to make money 60, but when, I mean, there were items on our menu, you know, so I'm looking, it's like, okay, well, what's going on? You know, where are things priced, right? You know, where, you know, and where are things priced? What's going on? And basically it started with me literally with invoices and, and what I, you know, and whatever recipes I had breaking down costs, right? Well, I know I have so many, I know a Guinness keg costs me this and I know how many pints I get out of a Guinness keg and assume I have so much waste, you know, this is, you know, where I need to be charging it, but I'm, I should be charging $8. Oh, but look, I'm really charging five. Well, you know, you know, there were items that we were losing money every single time that we, we rang it up because no one did anything. So that's the first, I mean, actionable steps, figure out what your costs are. That's where you need to start. And then you can start working because then at least you can stop. You can kind of put a tourniquet on part of the bleeding. Then you can work on your service on your un- and your other controllables. Got you. Awesome stuff. Uh, I can't believe we're already 55 minutes into this conversation. Uh, you're giving us some great stuff. And I'm really putting you through the ringer, too. So I appreciate your patience with me and being open and honest. It's really valuable stuff. Uh, is there anything that you haven't discussed yet? Anything you were hoping we would touch on during this free-flowing portion of the conversation that you want to go into before we move on to the speed round? Um, no. I, the only thing I will say is... Um, as somebody who's kind of doing this and, and really a corporate office of, you know, and really a corporate office of one and, and, and I, and I have some great help, you know, that, that helped me, that helped me here, but really the big picture stuff really being the only thing you got to use technology as much as you can. Mm. Uh, now technology is only as good as, as you using it, but it's really going to help you kind of, you know, if you can get your people on board and doing it, you can really, get a lot of information from your desk and be able to make moves as needed as opposed to really having to dig in individually. Mm -hmm. Can you think of some like obvious technology, like specific, specific tools that you think are, should be implemented first? Like if you're going to invest in any technology, like where should we start? I mean, obviously POS, but what are some other places where you can really get back time and efficiencies with technology? I think uh, menu costing software, as I think, you know, the first place to start, um, I think, you know, some people like beverage scanners and, and more beverage, beverage inventory items. Um, anything that can kind of tell you, I, I'm a very big person in data mine. So uh, a program like, um, you know, like C2It, Avero, um, you know, there, there's a hundred of them on the market. Those are just examples. 
but having something that you can kind of really dig down and really get real line level data, I think really helps. Uh, I mean, I'm looking right now kind of my Friday and Saturday nights because I get a much different crowd and, and, and I can see kind of what that crowd is based on, uh, based on what's being ordered. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And that tells me a lot. Beautiful. So uh, I'm curious, you said uh, menu costing, what are you using for your menu costing? So right now I use a, I use a program called sorcery. Um, and it is, it, it kind of started off with when I came here and the owner literally saw my desk filled with invoices and papers of me costing out items by hand while I figure everything out. And he's like, there's gotta be a better way of doing this. So of course there's a better way of doing it. Just, you know, this is what I'm doing right now because I need answers. And there's a lot of menu costing programs out there. The, the issue is though, you know, food's a commodity, you know, it, it goes up and down. It fluctuates. Uh, I'm gonna, I use avocados always as an example. I paid as little as $36 a case for avocados in California, and I've paid as much as 140 this year. Jesus. I was going to say so, 150 was going to be my guess, but that was pretty close. Uh, yeah. So what about beverage inventory management? What are you using for that? So beverage inventory, I, I, use, a, um, I, use, I, I use a bar program that we're kind of testing. It's not, a, it's not really on the market. It's in a beta. Um, and, and sometimes we still use the old pen and paper, sometimes still for beverage. It's a little bit more... Beverage is a little bit more controllable, if that makes sense. Um, you get, you know, more because you're dealing with whole unit mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, as opposed to food, which is pieces and cases and things like that. Yep. And you also mentioned the C2 it and Avero. Uh, Upserve is another one that I am a huge fan of that a lot of people yep. are recommending on the show. What's the most important piece of data you get from those pieces of software that you think need to be focused on or, you know, the, the, the one thing that you can justify at least like why it's worth investing in technology like that? You, you, you see your sales, you see what people are buying and then you can make adjustments based on what people are buying. And, and, you know, for me, it, when you start tying things together and you start downloading, you know, am I selling something that's a bad cost to me? That's a problem. You know, uh, I'm very fortunate that I have my star item and my best item selling is my best food cost item too. Yeah. That's, you know, which that's helps out tremendously. problem to have. Um, awesome. Great, man. This has been awesome up to this point. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be back to bust out a quick speed round. I can't wait to be unstoppable. Most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time. When you need funding to renovate, buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. That's where cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K.com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Nobody likes doing 
paperwork. If you have a growing group of restaurants and find yourself wishing you could snap your fingers and have all of your invoices and AP instantly disappear from your plate, then you need to call Sorcery. Sorcery is used to make owning and operating a restaurant a breeze. Instead of dreading invoices, you'll be delighted to be synced with every vendor. With your new relationships, you can work on negotiating the best price to improve your margins. And Sorcery's biggest superpower is that they watch the prices you pay across the kitchen, from dry goods to proteins to produce. And when citrus skyrockets, you'll know to update your recipes before you end up kicking yourself at the end of the quarter. To learn more, head over to www.getsorcery.com or find the banner in the show notes. If you mention Restaurant Unstoppable at checkout, you'll get your first month free. Yep. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Dan, what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, Resilience. Resilience. Uh, why is that so important? Resilience, because this is a business that has a lot of ups and downs. And if you and if you can't bounce back off the downs, you're never going to succeed. You, you just got to be able to keep on moving forward. Got to be buoyant, man. Absolutely. And what is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is going to be my my biggest weakness is probably going to be I can get frustrated very easily. And still to this day, I, I do a good job of not showing it like I used to, but it still happens a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one book uh, I think every every person in the a leadership position in the restaurant industry should read is Social or sorry, Emotional Intelligence by Dan Goldman. I plug that book all the time, but I, it's such a great book. Oh man, for just understanding your emotions and getting control over that beautiful stuff. Do you have it on your bookshelf right next to me? Uh, yeah, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I saw you looking I over would, there. Huh? I said I saw you looking. Uh, were you looking at your bookshelf? I, I, I want to make sure I quote it right. So, uh, <laughs> a, a lapsed anarchist, uh, a lapsed anarchist approach to Bill uh, to being a better leader. Oh, awesome, dude! Um, yeah, we're gonna get into the books. <laughs> so we'll get into the books. Uh, the, the question is coming. But do you do you want to? Oh, make a sorry, that's what you asked. Sorry, your the internet connection. Came uh, out. It's sorry. all good. It's all good. Uh, what's one question or one thing you look for during the interview process? Uh, one question is, one question I would say is what do, what do people think about you at work? That isn't true. Okay. What are you looking for in that question? See what their answer. It's a question. Nobody hears. Um, it makes them think. And I, I always want to see what the answer is. Uh, because a lot of times what they, you hear things like they think I'm too serious. You know, that's, that's one I hear a lot. Well, if people think you're too serious, then most likely when you're, you know, you probably do act too serious, yeah. right? You may not think internally you're too serious, but it more falls. The question more gives you an answer of perception mm-hmm. um, of, of the perception. So that's kind of what you're giving off, even though you may not think it's true. Got you. What's your biggest challenge today? Um, cost management, labor management, uh, rising cost of goods, rising cost of labor, and being able to combat that and still be able to drop a profit to the bottom line while still giving, you know, while still staying at a competitive price point to my guests. What's one thing that you've done differently recently that is contributing to managing costs and labor management? So I, I started using a program called sorcery and 
Sorcery, it's a line level, uh, line level data invoice extraction system. And so what happens is you go through and a lot of times, you know, you do a food cost, right? But a lot of times you have to keep, you have to manually input all of your costs. This allows, this basically you scan up your invoices and it, and it syncs with your accounting software. If we use Zero or QuickBooks or whatever you're using. And what it does is it looks at every single item and it reads it. And so it tells you the, um, and it tells you the, uh, it tells you kind of the price fluctuation. So you can see what's going on. And the nice thing is it, it allow it gives you trend rates. It gives you, it gives you, it gives you trade runs and rates. And so you can make decisions on kind of what you're going to do. Um, you know, you can make decisions on what you're going to do with that item, whether it's replace it, remove it, um, call the vendor and say, what the hell is going on here? Um, uh, we had an issue with bacon where we went to a show and, uh, I won't use the company's name, but it is the largest food service distributor in the country. Uh, so you can do the math on who that is. Uh, we go to one of their shows. We find this amazing apple with smoked bacon. The price is great. And, and it really wasn't much more than our regular old boring bacon that we were serving. And we figured, look, we'll, we'll put it on the menu. It was an extra 10 cents uh, to our menu plate cost. And we figured, look, you know, it gives value. So I think maybe a little bit later, we can not change the item and raise the price if we want, because it nice thick piece of bacon, you know, not the little tiny piece. Well, sure enough, we order it. Price is what we said, what we were told. Next time we order it, it goes up. Next time we order it, it goes up. Before you know it, the price is increased by 200%. Wow. And literally 200%. Yeah, I'm on the phone with my Cisco rep saying this is unacceptable. You know, you don't get to show a product at a price and four months later it's up, you know, 200%. And, you know, and of course their answer is, oh, you know, the, the, you know, everything is, oh, the Chinese are buying more pork and blah, blah, blah. You know, the Chinese are buying everything. If you ask anybody, um, you know, I ended up having the president of this company um, in my, you know, in my restaurant because we do a lot of purchasing with them and said, not cool. You know, you, you don't get to, you know, and I, and I negotiate down to lock in a price for us because, because of that. And the truth is, if I didn't have this program, I probably wouldn't have seen it until it was too late. Flown under the radar. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, technology can be huge, huge. There's so many things that we just can't do on a day to day to pay attention to everything. Not to mention the time you get back uh, by automating certain things that can be automated that don't necessarily need that human element. Like looking at numbers, you don't need that human element. Uh, you can have a machine do that kind of stuff. Uh, so share one code of conduct or behavior. Uh, this could be a value, a way to be basically, uh, that you teach your team. That's not standard in every restaurant. Um, Friendly, but not over the top. And it may not be a code of conduct, but we're, we're in the restaurant business. We're not curing cancer. This isn't brain surgery. You know, we are here to make sure that people have a good time. I want my staff to have a good time. I want them to come in and have a good time because that's going to repl- reflect on the guest. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's teaching a good, fun. We can have fun at work while still getting the job done. Awesome. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your guests. This is something uh, that's the example I use when you approach a table and you have something in your hand that doesn't belong to that table. You hold it behind your back. So what's another example of a one uncommon standard of service that you teach your team? To, if they choose to, they, yeah, you know, I'm trying to think the best way of putting it. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I have one. I, I love honesty, man. That's I, 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 when you think about it, I don't think that we do anything with, 
I always say, I always say it's the friendliness piece. You know, it, it's that, it's that joy of being at work and that's really what I preach. Um, I, you know, there, I don't have a very special piece that I say, look, this is specialized to us. I mean, you know, we put coasters down, we have custom coasters and there's 12 of them. They have different, you know, and they, and all the staff know about kind of what each of them say and who, and some basic history of kind of what we're doing. But there's not much that I can say, look, we do something so different here. That's, that's different than everybody else. Not even different at your restaurant, but different from, I guess, a, a okay operation to a great operation. What's one thing that great operations do for service? It, this is why I always tell people, if you can go into the place and I've been there, I don't remember what I ate or drank, but I had a great time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the best compliment I can ever get. Beautiful. You know, when people say, Oh, you, you have good Guinness. Well, I don't make the Guinness. No offense. Like I'm glad it's cold. Like I'm glad you enjoy it. But when people say every time I go there, I have such a great time. You know what, what I, what I teach people is look at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you go to McDonald's and you spend $10 or you go to, you know, Mastro's I think has the nation's highest check average, $125 a person. It doesn't matter where you go at the end of the day, you got to eat breakfast, right? Maybe you get a little doggy bag. But at the end of the day, we are selling an experience. We are selling, you know, we're selling, we're selling joy. We are no different than trying to sell our, our, I mean, our competitor, you can argue is a movie, you know? I mean, you go to a movie at the end of the day, what do you have at the end of the movie? Well, you you got the experience of going to the movie and seeing it. Awesome. We got like four more questions. We're almost done. This is awesome so far. I mean, you're really doing great. Share one online resource or tool, a place you go to like get information or uh, use, I guess, an online any kind of tool that's online, a dot com. Um, are we talking in general or something that I use, like a, a piece of technology that I buy? Something that you would use. And I'm talking about like uh, not necessarily like a tangible piece of like software that's in your restaurant, but like a reference, a, a place you go to online to learn about something or check something out. Uh, I use the I, I use the CRA, California Restaurant Association. You know, and a lot of it has to do with you know, with rules and, you know, and things that are changing in the business, because I think it's important to see where things are going and to stay ahead of, uh, and to stay ahead of where we're, um, stay ahead of where we're going. Yeah. National restaurant association and state level uh, associations. I don't think get leveraged enough as they should. So they're there. They're a great resource, especially for litigation. Uh, they're a great resource uh, that you should be tapping into for sure. Uh, what's one book and you started going here and I cut you off earlier. What's one book that's a must read uh, to make us either a better person or a restaurant owner? Uh, a, a, a lapsed anarchist approach to being a better leader. Mm. Uh, it is written by, uh, written by the gentleman who his name is uh, Ari. Ari, uh, yeah. Ari. Yep. Ari yep. Weinzweig of Zingerman's and his series of books. He's got four now or yep. five, maybe they're all great. It's a elapsed anarchist approach to being a small business owner or a great business owner uh, or building yep. a great business, uh, becoming a better leader, leading oneself. And uh, there's a few of them, but they're all amazing. Awesome stuff. Thank you for recommending those. And what's one technology uh, that has, well, we kind of dived into this a little bit more. I mean, I guess you can uh, reinforce it if you'd like, but what's one technology uh, that you've adopted in your restaurant that's made you become a better operation in general? Uh, sorcery, because without sorcery, without that line level extraction, I, you know, I would still be, you know, I can see my trends. I can see what's happening with all of my costs. Um, and it, it lets me see three restaurants. You know, you can run the prime cost of your restaurant from an office and see what's going on and be able to make adjustments quickly as needed. And, you know, I've seen things where the trend starts moving and sometimes it's all about just talking to your rep, you know, depending on what it is. And Hey, is this, you know, you see a small spike, Hey, what's going on? Oh, the mark, 
nope, next week the market's coming back down. Okay, well, that's good to know. But it, I wouldn't know it if it didn't if it didn't affect, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't ask the question. Yeah. And I will um, say this about sorcery. Uh, they are a past get or a past uh, sponsor of the show and will be a future sponsor. They're, they're going to be sponsoring the show again. So just a special shout out to them, thanking them for supporting the show. They're a great company, great folks over there. And uh, if you got the news today or tomorrow that you'd be leaving this world permanently, all the memories of you and your work, uh, who you are, are gone. Uh, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you can tie to your name to leave behind for the good of humanity, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is where I started the show. It's better be feared than loved if you can't have both. <laughs> uh, to me, it's wisdom. It, it's a mantra I live by in my daily life, to be honest with you, which call me cold hearted. Um, don't take things too seriously. And live every day like it's the last one. Because I think I, I don't do that, and I, and I really should, but it's sometimes you got to remind yourself. Beautiful. I love it. And was there any question I could have asked you before we say goodbye? Anything that wasn't discussed? This is your last chance to kind of get it out before we say goodbye. Um, the only thing that I would say is, you know, your, you know your, your slogan is melting pot of mentors. And everybody has them. Everybody needs them. And there's going to be a point where you are, where you become other, where you have the opportunity to be somebody's mentor, uh, please take it. And I'll be honest from, from me personally, I have a mentor um, who I am eternally grateful for and who I'm eternally grateful to, I should say. And there are people that I, that I'm, that I, they're my, or I'm, I'm their mentee or, or sorry, they're my mentee. I suppose is the best way of putting it. Um, they're my mentee. Um, and it's a great feeling when they succeed. It's a great feeling inside. Mm-hmm. So please take the time. Everyone's busy, but take the time to really to, to help somebody else. Awesome. I love it. And we're going to wrap it up by uh, just letting the folks at home know uh, who, how we can connect with you. And you got to call somebody else to be a future guest. But how can we connect with you if we want to maybe come join your team, work, uh, get mentored by you, be, you know, be on your team, or just if we have questions, maybe about sorcery or anything else. Uh, so email Dan at Brendan's pubs.com. So D A N at B R E N D A N S P U B S.com. Uh, Dan at Brendan's also works. It all goes to me. D A N at B R E N D A N S.com. Um, overall, uh, please. I, I have a, just to give you an example, I talked to a 15 year old who wants to own a restaurant and he's afraid to tell his parents like, but he asked me questions. He, you know, he's, I, I've given him a tour you know, of the place, like, you know, I'm always, and he emails me and I'm happy to, you know, and, and he asked me questions about, you know, Hey, I went here and I saw this. What, awesome. what is it? Um, I I'm, I'm happy to, to answer any questions that anybody has and, and to really be a resource because I've been lucky enough to have those people. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in play it forward and whatever I can do to help anybody. I am here to do. Awesome. And I realized that that was, I said that was gonna be the last question, but you got to call somebody out. Who's one person you admire in this industry? Somebody that uh, you believe would be a great guest mentor like you've made for us today. Um, Adam Rosenbaum. Thank you. you. I was so happy you said Adam. (laughs) Uh, Has he been on the show or no? He has not, but he's been on my hit list. Uh, I shouldn't call it a hit list. It kind of sounds pretty negative, but he's been (laughs) on my, my list of people I admire in this industry. So I would love to get him on the show. Adam, look out. I'm coming after you again. And, um, (laughs) 
I guess that's it. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us to share your advice with us. We are all absolutely better off after listening to you, my friend. And there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. It's uh, it's my pleasure. Great, great talking to you. And, and like I said, you know, everybody just, you know, don't take it too seriously and have fun. If you can't have fun, then I don't know what you're doing. You know, find awesome. something else. Awesome. Love it, man. Cheers. We'll cut it there. Well, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Dan Margolis, awesome stuff. Uh, I wrote down some notes here, things I wanted to make sure I touched on before I let you go for the day. And uh, the big things for me that stood out in this episode, finding a mentor, uh, getting them to set you straight and to get those goals in life, to give to give it to you straight. Basically, like, here's where you are. Here's where you need to be. That, that person that's, you know, keeping you honest, right? Uh, it's so important to find that person in your life. Uh, and it's really also important. We kind of touched on this at the very end when we were wrapping up uh, to be that person. Uh, are you a great mentor? Are you giving people knowledge and skills to move forward in life? That's your job. That's what we're all here on this planet to do. In my opinion, if we have one responsibility is to leave the next generation better. So are you doing that? Also, we talked about, uh, just the importance of always growing and not getting complacent. Uh, if you're getting complacent, if you're just going through the motions, you're, you're doing yourself, the restaurant you work for and the people that work for that restaurant, a disjustice move on, always push yourself, always be growing, uh, trust in good communication. Um, I feel like a lot of people, uh, they, they move on to that GM role or that director of op- operation role, but they never fully remove themselves from the manager the day-to-day i mean it's good to keep your thumb on things to to monitor to to track that stuff but you need to trust your employees you you need to make sure you're giving them the skills uh the knowledge uh empowering them empowering them with the the right tools to do their job but you need to trust them to do it and get out of the way uh really great stuff and that that constant communication is so important and then we also talked about uh just leveraging technology right uh technology is a beautiful thing when it helps to save time and just to be more efficient uh to free you up so you can focus on those big things to focus on the future to vision to to work on your culture to to do the things that really separate good restaurants from great restaurants so don't be afraid to leverage that technology uh he mentioned some great tools out there today including uh, i think uh c2 was mentioned avero uh Upserve is another one I think that needs to be on that list. And uh, we also talked about Sorcery, which when this was recording, I, I was talking with Sorcery about getting them back as sponsors. They are spar- sponsoring the show again. Great company. Do check them out. Uh, reach out to me if you want an introduction. I'd be happy to introduce you. Great people. Great tools over there. And I think that's all for today, guys. Um, like always, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. Uh, you can connect with me, Eric, at Restaurant Unstoppable, Facebook slash Restaurant Stoppable Instagram, Eric Ketchatori in Twitter, Eric Ketchatori. I love connecting with my guests, or my, my listeners, sorry, and my guests, actually. That's a true statement both ways. Um, and uh, something that I need to start advertising more, I do one-on-ones. If you guys want to ask some questions, maybe you want help connecting with the past guests, set up a one-on-one with me. It's free. I really love those conversations, and I think that's enough for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.